At the intersection of vision, technology, and strategy, you will find the secrets to unlocking the world's most ambitious digital experiences. Join us on Reshape Digital as we seek out the groundbreaking ideas that are reshaping the digital landscape. Our guest today on the Reshape Digital podcast is J.P. Michelle. J.P. is on a mission to change the way we prepare people for their careers. J.P.'s knowledge of psychology and human resources gave him the opportunity to understand the psychology of the workplace and what workplace culture best optimizes the results of a business. He is the founder and head coach at SparkPath, an innovative approach to career development and leadership for youth and business leaders. JP has a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology and is the recipient of the 2017 Outstanding Career Professional Award from the Career Professionals of Canada. I hope you enjoy this conversation with JP Michelle. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Reshape Digital. Today's episode is brought to you by Open, Canada's fastest growing digital agency. My name is Chris Lico. And I'm Stephen Boucher. And today we have the pleasure of welcoming JP Michelle to the podcast. JP is the founder of SparkPath, which helps young people reach their potential. And he'll be talking about the challenge mindset that helps them with their career development. So, JP, what inspired you to start SparkPath? In 2009, I met a group of entrepreneurs in Ottawa working on a project with Dell. They had a huge call center here in the West End, and they laid off about 500 people. Terrible story, terrible news. The bright side was that they had access to career coaches that could help them find their next step in their career. So I met all of these career coaches, and I thought, wow, these people are cool. They're helping them transform. They're taking them out of a dark place into a bright place. And I said, I want to do the same thing. I was 23, so I wasn't going to help an executive you know, find their next opportunity. <laughs> so I said, why don't I go do something in schools? Started going to schools, um, helping young people pick their classes. I had worked at the University of Ottawa at the admin office. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I'm going to help people uh, choose their classes. And guidance counselors loved that in high school because they needed the help. One day, a mother asked me, can you help my daughter choose what she wants to do in university. She's not going yet. She's only in grade 11. Can you help? Well, with an entrepreneurial mindset, you have to say yes to a question like that (laughs) if you feel you've got the capability. So I did. I, I, I built this very simple program that helped the young woman discover more about herself and her potential. And it just gave her a huge sense of confidence and empowerment where she had none. And the mom after the program told me, you'll never understand the profound impact you had on my daughter. And I thought, whoa, that's powerful, you know? And I thought, maybe I'm onto something here. So I studied psychology and industrial industrial organizational psychology. And that led me to eight years of human resources consulting. But I never forgot that work that I did with that young woman. So I kept doing it on the side while I built up my consulting experience working for big consulting companies. Mm -hmm. And eventually, in January 2016, I quit to do SparkPath full-time. Nice. That's interesting. Do you think a lot of young people feel pressured after high school? They feel like they have to go to university. It's the next step. But then they just find themselves in some random program, something. But then they're dissatisfied. And do you, do you find that's a common issue nowadays? Absolutely. Yeah. We ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? That question pretends like they're going to be just one thing. And that one thing mm-hmm. is a job title. 
So now you've got young people that are pretending like they know what's out there in terms of job titles. Most young people will know about 20 or 50 job titles, and there are over 20,000 job titles out there. So that's a huge problem. So the next time you're thinking about asking someone, what do you want to be when you grow up? Think about the consequences of that. That question itself is creating the pressure and the anxiety that you're talking about. Uh, And it feels like to be successful, everyone has to go to college. Everyone has to go to university. I think we should question that mindset, first of all. Uh, but that's, those are some of the elements that are giving the impression. They don't have enough information. They don't understand themselves well enough. They don't have the support, the resources that they need to help them navigate that. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a scary concept that, you know, when you ask someone, what do you want to be when you grow up? It, it can come across as though you have to choose something and that's, that's what you are. And now that's your identity and you're stuck with that forever, right? Do you find that, you know, in your work, you, you encounter a lot of young people who are scared of, of being locked into a career or a role or an identity for the rest of their lives? You're right. And they use the same phrase you used, rest of my life. I recently interviewed about 68 kids and asked them, how did you choose what you wanted to study? They're all grade 12 students. So if you can put yourself in their shoes, they just applied to go to university or college. And a lot of them said that phrase, rest of my life. It's hard Mm. to choose something for the rest of my life. I understand that, but they're overestimating the importance of the program of study that they're taking. They're overestimating the probability that there'll be just one thing, one job title. That's not the way careers work anymore. Um, So uh, it doesn't work, right? There's something broken with that, that way of thinking, and they need a completely new way of looking at uh, their careers and their future. People need an identity though, right? We can't ask them to not have an identity, but I definitely want people to look beyond the job title to form their own identity. They could form their identity based on their values, their interests, their strengths, uh, on the impact that they want to have, have on the world. There are other options. Right. So how did you come up with the challenge mindset as a response to this, uh, these sort of trends that you've uh, identified in society? The trends that I didn't like are the ones we brought up, uh, and we could call them the job title mindset. Mm-hmm. This is uh, based on an old theory of personality that said uh, to prepare people for the world of work, let's get them to do a quiz. And then that will match them to a job title. They'll have their top 10 list of job titles. And uh, we just match them. And then good luck, you're off. And that's not the way to prepare people for the future of work anymore. So I thought we need to break this job title mindset. What I ask students to do is to look to challenges, problems, and opportunities that they want to work on. Things like redesign the healthcare system, create new artificial intelligence, increase sustainable energy, um, foster understanding and respect. There's no shortage, no, no shortages of problems in the world to work on. And that's what I think they should be looking to. Right. That's interesting. A lot of those are really ambitious, but in a really positive way. What do you think the value is in pursuing these sort of lofty challenges and, and shooting for the moon as opposed to just, uh, I don't know what the alternative, uh, collecting a paycheck or, or something, <laughs> right? What do you think the, the value is in those big challenges? I think this this age group is looking for inspiration, looking for a why, looking for a purpose to their existence, looking for an identity, looking for a reason to be in school. And if you give them the opportunity to choose a problem that they think is important, a challenge that they care about, you're giving them a huge boost in motivation. Now, it's not one individual student that will 
redesign the healthcare system on their own. Mm-hmm. However, if they understand that that's the bigger picture, maybe they'll take on their job as a nurse a little bit differently. It's not just about the one-on-one work that you're doing with the people in the room. It's about the operational efficiency. It's about transforming patient services. It's about becoming centered on the person that's in front of you. Uh, it just provides very helpful context. Now, they'll have to take small bites out of that. And imagine a young person, they've got a limited amount of capability based on their experience, but they'll learn and they'll take out small bites and small pieces of a bigger challenge. The way I explain it is through a cascade. For example, if they're applying to a company after they graduate from their degree, they could uh, try to formulate what's the problem this company is trying to solve? What about the department I'm applying to? Which piece of that do they own? The team I'm, I'm going to work with, which part are they working on? My boss and then myself makes for a very smart job applicant because in their cover letter, in their resume, everything is tailored to explain the problem that they're going to help solve once they work for that company. You do sound a lot smarter in your interview questions if you look at it that way. Right. It's almost like you're aligning your vision with the corporate vision because at the end of the day, a business exists to deliver value for someone. And if, if your value proposition to the organization represents a, a piece of that puzzle, a chunk of that pie, mm-hmm. then it, it, it only makes sense that you would be the best candidate because you're actually telling them, I get what your problems are, yeah. and I get how I play a role in the bigger picture. Yeah, a value proposition sounds a lot better than a resume, it sounds to me. Absolutely. You're right. Um, I get kids to read the About Us page that shares the vision on a company page. And think about a 15 or 16-year-old. For a lot of them, it's hard to just define what a company or an organization means. They can recognize brands, popular brands that they know, but just the concept of a company, they're not quite there yet in understanding what that means. I encourage them to start learning what that means because eventually they'll work for a company. One of the most popular exercises in the classroom that I do is that I get students to stand up in a class or in an audience, and then I get them to tell me the challenges that interest them. So I will pin two challenges against one another. I could ask a student, do you want to end extreme poverty or build the school of the future? And then students vote with their feet. They go to one side of the classroom or the other based on the challenge that matters to them. And it's fascinating to watch them because they'll look at their friends. Where are my friends going? They'll share their opinions for why they went to that side. And that's when you see their passion. Then you think to yourself, wait a minute. Why does someone who's 12, you know, 16... Why do they already have these interests about the world of work? We usually don't give them enough credit, but they do. Right. You should hear the things that these kids say. It's amazing. Hmm. Uh, and then they debate, and some people switch sides, and sometimes we do it in, um, in a playoff bracket. <laughs> so you've got multiple challenges, and eventually you have a big winner. In that process, I typically uh, sabotage one of the rounds. <laughs> and it's evil because uh, the students feel like it's unfair. What I do is I pick the loser and call them the winner. And you look, you should look the, at their faces when I do this. They feel upset. It's unfair. Why, why did JP get to decide who won? This doesn't make any sense. When they sit down, I share with them this message. If you don't choose the challenges you want to work on, someone else will choose for you. Right. They mm-hmm. haven't heard that before. And I tell them twice, if you don't choose the challenges you want to work on, someone else will choose for you. And that's giving them a sense of empowerment, a sense of agency, and to say, well, it's not going to be about you just sending your resume to 100 companies and hope somebody hires you. 
What if you thought ahead of time about finding the challenge that interests you, companies who are working on that, and then aligning yourself with that? Absolutely. I think that also really speaks to a trend in the in the digital space, which is this concept of a collaborative company or a flat hierarchy or mm-hmm. this notion that uh, you know everybody's an equal contributor, but. I've had so many experiences where I come into a company and I see all these people who have the opportunity to take initiative and do things and instead they're being delegated work, right? And I think it comes down to they actually have to take the initiative and understand that they can manage up and they can say, here's what's going to bring the organization the most value and I want to work on this. And a lot of people don't realize that no matter what organization you work at, if you come to your manager with that mentality... Nine times out of ten, they're going to say, you know what? I respect that. I think you should work on this. Mm-hmm. I think organizations crave the challenge mindset. What they want is, are people that are proactive versus reactive or followers. Unfortunately, our school system feels like it was built for following. So there isn't uh, as much room for uh, uh, being proactive and showing initiative. Unfortunately, some schools are trying to change that. I work with some of the best teachers that are changing that culture. When you get to a company, the last thing that you want is to hire someone who will just follow what their job description, what their job title says, what you're supposed to do. You want someone who's willing to adapt. You want someone who understands the broader context. What's the problem we're trying to solve for our clients? What's the problem we're trying to solve with this technology, with this software, with this initiative? Then they know how to volunteer because they can see things that you can't because they're maybe on the front lines, for example. Absolutely. Right. It's almost like you learn to, in school, you learn to satisfy requirements, but not to uh, keep other people happy, which is kind of the fundamental purpose of, right. uh, of running a company. How do you think educational institutions are, are you, you say some of them are struggling, some, uh, some uh, 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 educators are kind of breaking new ground. Overall, how do you think they're doing in keeping up with this trend and this kind of uh, demand for the challenge mindset? What I've seen with my work in SparkPath is that there's a huge appetite for this shift to happen. People disagree that uh, we need to keep doing this job title-based career development. We need something different. So people have been buying the challenge cards that I produce, which is a set of problems, challenges, and opportunities that kids can work on. I created these cards because I started asking teens, what's the problem that you want to solve? They didn't know what to say because we haven't taught them to think about their futures in that way. Right. But there are so many problems for them to work on. I thought, I'm just going to show them. And that's why I created these challenge cards. And last year, in 2018, I sold uh, over 3,000 decks of cards. Wow. Wow. McGill, Queens, UFT, Waterloo, Guelph, most of the major Canadian universities and colleges are using the challenge cards. And I think I'm going to surpass that number in a few weeks now based on the sales for this year. So high schools are getting them. Elementary schools are getting them. Colleges and universities are getting them. So they're really uh, buying into this idea of the challenge mindset. That's interesting. So what kind of exercises uh, do they do with the cards? Let's do one together. Yes. We're going to get our listeners to imagine what we're doing. So I'll share it. Who wants to do it? Oh, right here. You do it. <laughs> okay, right, good. So take, this deck of, okay. so take this deck of cards. I want you to separate into three piles. The challenges that you're not interested in, the ones you're okay. interested in, and the ones you're very interested in. And I'll walk our listeners through the process while you're doing that. So just go with your gut. So if you can imagine, um, he's looking at the challenge cards, and each one of them has a phrase at the front. The phrase could be, collect and use big data or create meaningful experiences for others. And they each have a, an image, some icons, 
a visual representation of that challenge. They also have different colors, which is, I've been told, very enticing for people, right? They like touching it. They like the colors. It's an interactive activity. It's engaging. And also, it's allowing you to follow your gut, uh, what your interests are, what you care about. And typically, it takes one to three minutes to complete the sort, right, into the three piles. Not interested, interested, and very interested. So that by the end, you get an interesting uh, data set of what someone's keen uh, to explore. Awesome. And how does that then translate into a job title or, or are we trying to avoid doing that entirely? Is it more about a path and less about a title? We're not avoiding it completely because eventually you will be hired and someone will give you a right. job title. We're just delaying the importance of it. We're delaying the timing of it because we're saying it's not the most important part. Gotcha. And we're fighting against this mindset that it is the most important part, right? A lot of kids will pick a job title because they saw the job title on TV. They think it's prestigious. They think uh, there's good money there. That's why you hear a doctor, engineer, lawyer, uh, all the time, firefighter, police, you know, you'll hear the, tw- the same kind of 20 roll around. And then after that, it's a hard wall in terms of what, what else is available. Right. It's interesting if I think about, you know, here at open and for the listeners, Steven's working through these cards and he seems completely enthralled right now. These so are really fast. We're not going to distract him, but what I was going to say is here at open, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we do have a unified vision, right? And, and we're trying to deliver the absolute most groundbreaking, cutting-edge digital experiences um, across North America, right? And everybody here plays a different role, but we're, we're working towards the same vision. And if I were heading into university and I thought, okay, I want to deliver exciting digital experiences in North America... You know, I could easily just say, oh, I need to be a developer. I need to know how to program in order to do that, right? But the reality is that you could have a career here in sales and do that. You could have a career in HR and do that. You could have a career in marketing, and you're all working towards that same goal, right? Mm -hmm. And as soon as you realize that, it feels as though maybe you could pursue a path that's more closely related to maybe what you're passionate about or maybe what you're more skilled at. I like that. And let's do an example together in a minute. First, Stephen, you did it. The initial sort. How did it go? Went pretty well. Some of them were um, were kind of tough because it was. Uh, I felt like I couldn't put too many in one pile, but uh, I think I think I went through them okay. Pretty honestly, um, I think you're yeah. right. You can't work on all the challenges at the same time. Mm-hmm. You can work on several different challenges over the course of your career, but not all of them at the same time. You won't be very good. And we need people who are good. Mm-hmm. The next step now is to look at that third pile, the ones you're most interested in. I think you probably have about 10 or 12. Can you pick your top three? You bet. While you do that, I want to build on your example, Chris, which is once you pick a challenge, you need to think that there are multiple ways to contribute. The one I like to share is engineer better medicine. Can you tell me who engineers better medicine? <laughs> uh, pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> Great. And what kind of jobs, like who, who would do that at the company? Oh, gosh. Um, engi- uh, engineers? Could be an engineer. Could right. be a chemical engineer. Gotcha, yeah. Uh, could be a biologist. Could be a chemist. You can almost picture them wearing their white lab coat. Yeah. But that's a pretty narrow view based on what you just said, right? Because isn't there a project manager that's keeping everybody on task, following the deadlines? Right. Isn't there a finance person that financed the whole project? That's pretty complex when it comes right. to medicine. 
There's an HR person who hired the team is making sure that they work well together. You get where I'm going with this, right? There's a graphic designer that created the new brand, new logo. There's somebody designing the lab equipment, cleaning the lab equipment. It's endless. And I've worked when I consulted with pharmaceutical companies, and you see that every day. There's so many different ways to contribute to the challenge. And imagine how motivating it is for people who are cleaning the lab equipment to know, no, I'm part of a process that's engineering better medicine, that's helping people lead healthier lives. It's just more satisfying to work with that context. Absolutely. Steven. All right. The big announcement. (laughs) Can you give us your top three? Absolutely. So one is uh, design the future of transportation. Two is, uh, this is in no particular order, by the way. Two is solve new challenges through entrepreneurship. And three is protect society from crime. Great. Now, you know, we'd have the option now to turn this into a full coaching session, which uh, you may not be ready for. But uh, instead of doing that, why don't I just tell you what comes next? Sure. Imagine a parent or a teacher, an academic advisor or a guidance counselor having a conversation with a student. They're asking them, well, why did you pick the card? What skill do you have that could make a difference in this challenge? And uh, what difference do you want to make in the world when it comes to that? Again, the magic that comes out of those conversations, you find out that these kids have read, watched things, thought about this, and it connects with their values, and it really brings the person to life in a unique way that we haven't done yet. Ultimately, let's say they pick Design the Future of Transportation as a challenge that they want to explore further. The process would be that they discover companies working on that challenge. And I'll tell you technically how to do that. Then the people who work there, what were their career paths? And then what did they study to be able to do that? Right. That makes sense. You're almost reverse engineering the process in a way. Yeah. That's what it is. Gotcha. Flip the model. (laughs) Yeah. You're starting from, it's like a first principles approach. It's really good. When I'm training a school board on how to use the cards, we're going to do some together. So we're really going to Google companies that design the future of transportation. We're searching on Google. Maybe we're finding mm-hmm. a list of the top 10 companies that are designing. Maybe we're finding one company. We're going on the company site. We're going to read about us, mission, vision, values. We'll look at the people section. Who are the leaders in this organization? What were their career paths? Right. And then you learn about something called career happenstance, right? The serendipity of careers. Yeah. There's, a, uh, there's a chaos theory of careers in the literature. And then kids get to see, oh, look at all this movement. But there are connections. They studied this. It allowed them to do this. Then they moved on to here. They leveraged that here. That's a great lesson for kids. I want them to dive deep into this, and I get them to use LinkedIn to do some more people research because then you can see the path. What was the school? What job? Et cetera, et cetera. And I want them to get their inspiration for their studies based on that. Right now, they're pretty limited to what they liked in high school. That's the question, right? Well, what did you like in high school? What class did you like? That should inspire what you study. That can work for some people. But what if the high school class was just about the teacher? Maybe you had a great teacher, but you didn't like the subject. Maybe you didn't like the subject because you had a teacher that you didn't like or connect with. Then that just eliminates all of these fascinating options right out of your future. In this approach with the challenge mindset, you discover all those options, uh, they come back to life with their connection to the challenge you want to work on. Do you think that the process of navigating someone's career path to where they got to eventually, do you think that that gives students uh, an openness 
to allowing their career to develop naturally. I think that a lot of the time when we go to study something, I went to school with so many people who would say, I want to be a, a marketing director one day, or I want to be uh, the CEO of my own company, right? And I think that that can be limiting in and of itself because if you don't accomplish that very specific thing, you feel really disappointed in yourself. Do you think that the students are becoming more open to, say, studying something and working at a company and seeing where it takes them? Good point. You showed one of the downsides of being too linear, too focused on a specific goal. Can you do the other side? So if I think about allowing your career to develop naturally, I think you're more focused on building your skills, the, the transferable ones that can lead you down any path and, and keeping yourself open to, um, you know, taking those to a new company or a new position. I was just going to say, I think you also cultivate adaptability that way, which I think is a pretty tremendous asset, especially when, you know, in the digital world, things are moving so quickly, right? Um, you know, Buckminster Fuller, He's an inventor and a, and a futurist. He said that uh, human knowledge doubled every 100 years up to 1900, and then up to the end of World War II every 25 years. But now people are saying it doubles every two years. So oftentimes what you learn in school, what you learn in terms of theory, becomes obsolete almost right after. So learning adaptability and kind of, uh, flexibility as you go along your career, getting getting your, your, your feet wet, so to speak, you know, I think that's probably the most important thing. Right. So you're both setting the context for the future of work, which is what we're preparing students for. So if you imagine a student that's going to graduate in four years, we're 2019 plus four, 2023, it's important to set them up for success in 2023, but we also want them to be successful at 2053, mm-hmm. which might be their peak earning years. Right. And you need the right mindset to be able to do that. And to answer your question about do we keep it open? Or do we make it fixed with specific goals? You've already heard me say, I don't like having specific goals around job titles be too fixed. But if somebody took the challenge mindset uh, down the wrong path, they could do the same thing. Uh, They could say, well, how do you measure success? Is the person who chose Design the Future of Transportation working on that in six years, in 20 years? That's not a metric of success for me. Uh, Because change can be good. Right. Right. So the the other part that we have to say is that if someone is completely the other way, which is about I'm just going to roll the dice to see what happens with this degree, with this job. I see all the students that hit a wall. They don't know who they are. They don't know the impact they want to have on the world. They're discouraged. They have no inspiration, no motivation. So the correct answer is you need a balance. Right. And that's going to be different for each person. Some people that I work with have an extremely high tolerance for ambiguity. I'm just going to go here and see how this works. But I know the connection between my education, my job, my company, and the problems I'm trying to solve at a minimum. I don't need to commit to them. I'm not going to ask you to get a tattoo of design the the future (laughs) presentation, right? Um, So I'm exploring, but I understand connections. That means when you're in your fourth year of your psychology degree, you don't just magically discover that you need a PhD to do clinical work. You've already thought about that ahead of time, right? right? Uh, you didn't need to commit to being a psychologist, but you're, you, what you are committed to is exploring. So that's the balance that I try to strike with my students. You don't need to predict, but it's good to have ideas, to make connections, to have options. Right. I think that you know something that I witness a lot in, in students coming out of post-secondary and trying to enter the workforce is they've gone too broad, right? And so, and again, it's obviously this idea 
where they're, they're not using the challenge mindset to begin with, but they're thinking more about how can I ensure my employability? And, and they're trying to just nail down as many competencies as possible. And I'll give you an example. We see so many developers that are trying to enter the workforce and they come out with experience in 12 or 15 programming languages, right? And, and it's crazy to think in a, a two or three year diploma that they're learning that many, but mm-hmm. it also feels a little bit useless in some ways because you don't know anything well enough to really solve problems and address challenges with it. Right. And so something that we've done here at Open is we've, we've developed this internship program that ex- exists as a segue between their education and entering the workforce where we say, you know what, we understand that Drupal is a very specific technology and you're not going to learn it in school. So we're going to actually give you problems to solve for our clients or for our team internally and you're going to learn how to use the technology. If you succeed in the program, great, come work for us because we do Drupal. If you don't succeed in the program, you're not limited to working at other Drupal agencies because now you know how to leverage your programming skills and use them to solve problems in the context of a specific technology. And you can go apply that to any technology at that point, right? So I think that... The openness can be a problem in a way because, like, I have a bachelor of business admin, and it's like the amount of job titles I could apply for with that education is so broad. Right. You don't even know where to start. So, JP, how do you propose um, companies can use the challenge mindset internally? We're talking a lot about uh, young people, but how about for ex- uh, looking for a job? But how about for existing employees to to excel in the jobs they already have? The first time I presented the challenge mindset, I was in Orlando, Florida at the National uh, Career Development Association conference. And one of the members in the audience was from the U.S. military. And for her, the challenge mindset clicked. Her first thought was, we need to create our own deck of cards for the challenges we're trying to solve in the military. And I think that's a fascinating approach for all companies. Just like a business plan is not about the business plan, it's about the thinking that goes through what's Mm -hmm. in your plan. Just thinking through that mindset of what are the top challenges we're trying to solve in the organization internally and externally is a useful thought exercise for strategic planning. If you create an asset out of that, like I did, an actual deck of cards, you can use it in many avenues in the organization. You can use it when you're training people. You can use it when you're developing people. You can help people understand the link between the skills they're developing and the challenges that we're working on internally. You can give people an opportunity to create their own projects on the side where they're saying, well, let me try this new initiative that's going to help solve this problem. You can use it when you're hiring. You can ask interview questions about how the person will contribute to what you're doing. Finally, you can use it when you're recruiting. If you want to get people inspired by your mission, by your vision, you can share transparently with them, here are the problems that we're trying to solve as an organization. Come join us. Come help us. Right. Do you think that also, in a way, it provides a more fair hiring process? I think that a lot of the time when I'm speaking with entry-level candidates or even candidates that are coming straight out of post-secondary, a lot of the time they don't necessarily have experience to speak to. And so I can say, do you have experience writing blogs? And they might say, oh, well, you know, I wrote a paper in school. And they're kind of dancing around the answer because they feel uncomfortable with it. But if, if I were to ask them a question of, um, can you speak to a time in your life where you had to generate demand for something? 
right? I mean, that's the challenge that we're trying to solve when we write blogs is to generate demand right. for products and services. So do you think that it also provides fairness in the recruitment process by giving them the opportunity to answer questions like that? You're right in making the link. It doesn't have to be specifically the way that you do it, you know, requiring you know, years of experience on there. They might have done that demand generation in another way, in another facet. What you're trying to pull out during the interview are the skills that they leveraged during that process, the way that they thought about it, how they approached it. And I think that's a great way of doing that. Exactly. So as, as a digital agency at Open, we deal a lot with uh, the challenges that clients come to us. In terms of that relationship, the client-vendor uh, relationship, how do you think we could apply the challenge mindset to, uh, to our clients for our digital projects? You may have worked with some vendors that have an off-the-shelf solution to creating technology for people, just designing it spec by spec based on the words that clients use. If you're listening to what I'm saying, you probably hear that that's automatically going to fail. Clients don't understand the words to use. They can't describe what they want, what they need based on the problem. So what a great company would do is to help flesh that out for their clients to help them understand the problem that they're trying to solve. Sometimes they don't know. And sometimes you have to help them think through that. So by using the challenge mindset, you're going to think about the right, powerful, open-ended questions to help them discover their user to help them discover the context, the background, the journey that you want to put people through. And sometimes by doing that, you'll think about a new solution that you hadn't even thought about before. It may be different than the one they initially asked for. Right. I, I think there's something very agile about that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we use, we use the agile methodology here for our, our projects. And at the end of the day, we're not thinking about what does our client want to accomplish. We, we think about what does our client's audience want to accomplish, right? right. So say you're working with a hospital um, and you want to understand the audience and you say, okay, if, I, um, if I'm having chronic pain and I need to come and get it checked out of the hospital and I need to find information on the website, what is my journey going to be, right? And, th- and that's what we call user stories. Right? So in the Agile methodology, we think about the user stories for our clients' users, and that's how we color our design and development decisions. It's based on what are our clients' audience, our, our clients' customers trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's just like the, you know, the kids like in, uh, in school. Are they trying to tick off requirements? Is the agency just going to build a website, you know, check, 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 and get all the uh, technical requirements out of the way, or are they actually going to be proactively tackling challenges that the customers are facing of the uh, of the client? So I think that's pretty important. For sure. So on that note, I think we're going to wrap up. I think this was really a fascinating topic, um, and I think there's a lot of connection between the challenge mindset and, and the challenges that the digital landscape is facing when we look at organizations and we look at people trying to enter the workforce. So Really uh, like to thank you for joining us today, JP. And for those of you listening uh, that are looking for JP, you can find him at mysparkpath.com. So thanks for being here today, JP. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for your uh, great questions. I hope I've inspired some of our listeners to stop asking people what they want to be when they grow up. And instead, they can ask them about the problems that they want to solve or the challenges that they want to meet, whether it's a parent or a school or even companies like we suggested.
Well, you've inspired me. I'm going to go design the future of transportation. Oh, no, we're going to lose Stephen now. That's right. <laughs> These <laughs> kind of things path. happen. I'm glad you picked that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much, JP. Thanks a lot. And thanks to all our listeners for joining us today. And stay tuned uh, for our next episode. Thank you. <laughs>